If you would take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, for the next few weeks as we lead up to Easter, I just want to look at some crossroads, some places where some people uh, encountered Jesus on his way to the cross. And, and as you know, not, not everybody, but a lot of people, when they, when they encounter Jesus, when their life intersects, uh, something unique happens. And uh, so it brings them, in this intersection with Christ, it always brings them to a crossroads. Uh, Jesus on earth always knew his destination. It was Jerusalem. You'll see throughout the Gospels where he says things like this, that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. It was even prophesied that he would set his, his gaze toward Jerusalem when he came. So while on the road to Jerusalem, he graciously confronted, kindly challenged, and continually worked and touched people. Some responded, some didn't. But Jesus never lost sight of what was significant in his journey. And it was simply this, that he would touch people along the way. And while he was doing that, he kept in mind the focus was simply this, is to die for humanity so that we could have a pathway to the presence of the Father. Dag Hammarskjöld, a Swedish diplomat and author, said this, never let success hide its emptiness from you. We live in a culture that really does focus on success and prominence. I was watching the Oscars, I'll have to admit that, with some people the other night. And, and as I watched that, you know, these are rich people, these are well-to-do people, these are well-put-together people. They're all really prominent, really pretty successful in their line of work. But I don't see a lot of significance. And sometimes success can hide some of the shallowness and the emptiness that comes to people's lives. I want to read a passage about a man that was like that. So Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1, says this. Now he, Jesus, he entered Jericho, and he was passing through. And there was a man named there Zacchaeus. He was a chief collect, tax collector. And I note some of the verbiage, the verbs that are used here. He was rich. He was trying to see Jesus uh, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd. Why? Well, because he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, and since he was about to pass that way, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today I want to stay at your house. Imagine that. See, a lot of people want to see Jesus. They just don't, they're not sure they want Jesus to see them. And he's getting up there, you know, getting out of the way so he can see him. But Jesus always knows who's seeking and looking for him. So Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. Because today I must stay at your house. So Zacchaeus quickly come down and he welcomed Jesus joyfully. All he saw, all who saw it began to complain. Now he's going to go lodge with a sinful man. That's the religious people there. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, huh, huh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pay back four times as much. And notice this powerful declaration from Jesus. Today, salvation has come to this house. Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, he's Jewish. He's of the seed of Abraham. He comes from the Jewish lineage. He's part of that, that God family. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save 
the lost of who Zacchaeus was a part of. Today, don't we sometimes, do you ever ask yourself, have you ever asked yourself, is this it, is there more? Where do I really count? What's the meaning and purpose of my life? Uh, maybe the business person you've started, you run a business, it's gone well, and maybe you're, or maybe you're in this career where you're climbing the, the ladder of what we would call success. Financially, you're probably pretty solid, doing well. But you kind of hit, you get close to that top rung, and what do you ask yourself, is this all? Maybe you're a woman, a wife, and a mother, and you've been serving your family. That's your career. And you see other women working, and you begin to question, man, does this, is what I've done, does it really matter? Maybe I should have gone out there. Maybe I should have done something. Maybe it would have been a little more significant. Or maybe you just have a regular job. What you see is just a regular job. I mean, it's nothing special, and you've been banging out a living, and day in and day out, you're simply providing for your family. And you're thinking, man, where am I making my mark? What's, what's, I mean, is it, is it making any difference? Maybe some of us have had a setback in life where we failed big time. Maybe we've sinned in a big area. Maybe, maybe something's gone wrong. We made a bad decision. Maybe we went through a divorce and take a lot of heat and responsibility for that. Or maybe we've, some of us maybe even had to spend time in jail. Maybe we've had a moral failure. And you begin to ask questions like, can I, re- can I really rebound from this? And can it make a difference so that I could live a significant life? Maybe you're a single person, single parent, and you're making a living trying to take care of your children or child, and you're pulled in so many directions. But there's kind of this gnawing sense that, you know, I'm, I'm single and I don't have a significant other, and you kind of go, can I really have significance? And, 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 I, and I, I throw these out because over the years, these are things that have been said to me in different ways. Because I think all of us, especially once we come to Jesus, we want to make, is there something of significance in our life? And our culture really attempts, doesn't it, to define for us what is significant. And how do we do that? We keep score. There's winners, there's losers. There's have-nots and there's haves. And the reason it becomes so easy to become invested in work is because, well, that's where the score is really taken, isn't it, for a lot of us? I mean, you know, you got bottom lines at the end of the year. you got bottom lines every week. I mean, you know what is, what is really good and how you're doing. It even happens in the church. I hate to admit this, but it's, it, it happens all the time with pastors. I remember, um, you know, when I first came here, um, Someone reminded me this morning, they said, you know, this is probably more than you had in your first service here. And I said, absolutely it is. You usually have more people, more cars out here on a Sunday morning before service starts because of all the volunteers. I mean, we had about 45 or 50 people. And, um, and if you're a pastor, you know, you go to a pastor's meeting or you go to a pastor's conference or a denominational convention. And, and what, you know, it always gets around to this question. You're standing around, you may not know these guys. Oh, where are you from? I'm you know, from here and there, and someone says, well, how's the church going? Guy goes, well, bless God, you know, we're just over a thousand now, and uh, boy, God's really doing some great things, and they start to tell all the great things God's doing, and then, well, how about you? Oh, well, you know, well, we've been pushing 1,500 now, and spirit's moving, and doing all this stuff, and, and then I'm there, and I know the question, they're going to go, well, how about you? Oh, I'm, you know, this is back when we were, you know, 40, 50 people, and, and, and you know, you're, you're sitting there and you know the question's coming. I'd like to be able to escape, but you can't do it gracefully. So they look at me, well, you, 
So I go, you know, there's these quick voices. You know those nanosecond voices? A little image management. I'm thinking, how can I get out of this and look good? So, you know, I, I sit there and I got this voice that says, oh, man, don't, you know, I'll tell them it's 100. You know, I'll hit triple digits. And, uh, you know, that'll be a little bit more impressive than 40 or 50. And that little voice in this image man and thing says, you know, 100's not quite so embarrassing. And then very quickly, there's another voice that says, I don't even know these guys hardly. You know, what, what do they care? What do I care about them? But isn't it all about image, keeping score? And I said, you know, am I going to lose my integrity and my standing over 50 lousy people? So I thought about it very quickly in another nanosecond. I go, oh, man, we're probably, you know, three or 400. <laughs> and and what, what I meant by that, evangelistically speaking, I had four people in my family, and I knew every Sunday we'd have at least three people there. And then if God moved miraculously, we could, go, we, you know, we could have had 400 people. No, I didn't do that. But I thought about it. See, isn't it easy to try and get our significance really from things that, we, that really are prominence? You know the difference. Prominence is what people see. Significance is what comes from within. Now, am I the only one that's ever thought of doing something like that? Okay, good. I read an article a few years back in Psychology Today how the baby boomer generation, those born between 1946 and 1964, of which I'm a part of, they, it says they will not grow old gracefully. They enter into cosmetic surgery, not as a luxury, but as a necessity because they want to continue to stay and look young. But I love this because the Bible has a totally different perspective on what, and I believe that, that the church has to be about being a youth movement because youth move things forward. They keep it fresh and they keep it sharp. But, but in doing that, while youth are important, the Bible really does speak that the older you become, the more significant you become. And I never want to forget that in our church because there's so many people that are my age and older that literally I stand in their shoulders in what God has done here and get to see them. See, the scripture even points to the body as it shows its age. That's a good thing. I mean, just consider Proverbs 16.31. It says gray hair is the splendor. Don't you love that? I sure do. I think that's a good word. So I want to look today at this man's life whose, whose life his, it intersects with Jesus. In the midst of it, he's trying to find his search for significance. And so let's, I just want to, I want to talk you through it a little bit. Jericho. It says, you know, Jesus enters Jericho, a beautiful city. It's called the city of palm trees. It's known for its springs and, and around the city. Uh, it, it, it attracted human habitations for centuries. It's one of the oldest known cities. And it's, it was a crossroads for uh, caravanning exports to the east. And it was a great place to work with for, for commerce because it was a lush center. But it was also a center of taxation for the Roman government. So it was a great place to work if you're a tax collector. Now it says Zacchaeus. Notice some of the verbiage about him. I mean, how would you like to be noted? And he was short, you know. And Pastor Terry... And he was, you know, so, you know it, it's, but it says Zacchaeus, and he was short. See, he grew up being short in a tall world. You wonder if he lived with short jokes, maybe being pushed around, looked down upon. I wonder if in games, you know, he would have been the last one picked. So he probably grew up with this stepped-on feeling mentality, crushed under the cruel and, 
and calloused feet of the tall people around him. He probably felt the imprint and the footmarks through his life that after a while just kind of stomped out the tender little boy that Zacchaeus probably was at one time growing up. And like many who get rejected in their early years get picked on, they learn to compensate, don't they? I mean, you can laugh at the jokes for a little while. You can kind of roll with the punches. But there comes a time when every person says, I'm going to fight back. I'm going to show you. And I think that Zacchaeus has a lot of that probably. If you read between the lines, you might see that. I'll show you. So he finds his way out of his little man complex by becoming a professional ladder-climbing chief tax collector on the Roman corporate ladder. He begins to not only fight back, but now he'll step on anyone that will get in his way of reaching the top of his profession. He's going to prove himself. He's going to become prominent. And anybody, see, he's going to change it. Nobody's going to look down on him now because he's going to bring himself up to a place where he's looking down on everybody else. Why? Well, he's a tax collector. Not only was he a tax collector, but he was the CEO of them. He was a boss of them. And then it says he's rich. So this job, what does it do? It begins to bring him some power and some position and some prestige, some financial weight. I mean, he's probably got his Jerusalem Armani on. He's probably got his nice Italian shoes. Italy wasn't too far away. So he would have been a top drawer kind of guy. He's becoming the king of the hill. But guess what? As he climbs that thing, he finds out it's probably more of a dunghill. Think about it. He's seen as a traitor to his own people. He's a sellout because he's collecting taxes from his own people. And the way you become rich as a tax collector is the government of Rome says, we want you to collect this much. And so you go and you gouge your own people. Not only did, his, did, did, did the, uh, the, the, the Jewish nation hate Rome because they saw them as their oppressors. But then they had to pay them taxes. And then you got one of your own coming and saying, Rome wants 20%, but Rome really only wants 10%. And you're skimming and extorting basically the other 10% to build your own coffers. So he was what he thought he wanted to get rich. What he thought would give him value and worth simply gave him prominence, but it never touched his soul to become significant. And then one day, one day, he hears about a man coming to Jericho. I mean, Jesus' press clippings are just, have been spreading for two and a, for, for actually almost three years now. And he says, maybe, just maybe this man can begin to give me some significance. Jesus. So he's heard about this Jesus who's this Jewish itinerant rabbi. He's called the friend of his kind. He's heard how he goes in and he, he has meals and he drinks and he hangs out with other tax collectors, the dregs of the culture there. Nobody does that. And then he's got this tax collector friend named Matthew Levi who literally buttons up his shop to follow Jesus because Jesus has such an impact on him. There's rumors going around that Jesus is this, this Messiah. So this Zacchaeus says, I want to know him. I want to see him. 
But now you got to picture this. He's a little man in a big crowd. It's not safe. If he gets recognized by anybody, and you know, you can usually tell the people that are really well-off, well-to-do, they've got the seats, and there's probably a lot of these people in Jericho that he's collected taxes from. So what happens? This is their chance to get him. As he walks around, he's probably getting jostled. He's probably getting elbowed. Get out of here, Zacchaeus. You traitor, get off this. Get, get away from us. So they're pushing him back, and... Very quickly, I'm sure he kind of had this stepped-on feeling again, didn't he? But he's quietly desperate. He's needing something more from his life. What does he say? I want to see Jesus. So he does the unthinkable. No Jewish man, especially one who had position and any kind of prominence, would have done these two things. It was just, it was was kind of a, a social thing a man didn't do back then. You didn't run. And you also, you didn't climb trees. You know, it'd be like a banker today, you know, in his big old three-piece suit running around and then climbing a tree. But that's exactly what Zacchaeus does. Why? Because there's something in his soul that is bankrupt. He's a man with outward prominence, and he'll go to great lengths and great heights to find inward significance. And I know some people say to me, I'd never do that, P.T. I'm not going to catch me shitting up a tree running around. But isn't it true in our culture, don't we do a lot of other crazy things? We'll begin to, maybe it's an illicit affair. Maybe we'll begin to live outside of our means and pursue things that we really shouldn't have or don't need. It's just a little more dignified, but we pursue those things. But see, Zacchaeus, he's tried them all. He's got all the goods. And he's heard about Jesus, and he says, I want to see Jesus. So Jesus stops right under his tree, This man of means, but really he's bankrupt of soul. He's been extorting money from people. He's been skimming off the top from his closest friends probably, if they were friends. Jesus looks up at him and he says, he's not looking, Jesus isn't looking at him for an audit. He says, I want you to come. I want you as an audience in my life. I want to come talk to you. And so imagine they go to his house, hang out, have lunch just because this man wants to go see Jesus. So Jesus looks at Zacchaeus. You know what he does? He sees every footprint and heel mark on his back. He sees this little boy who's grown up into a big, in a big man's world of what he's had to endure. And he doesn't just say, hey man, come on down. What are you doing up in that tree? He calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your place for lunch. And he calls him down. And what does he do? You know what I think he does? He simply addresses Zacchaeus' need for two things, salvation and significance. Because so many of us in our lives, we're looking for something more, I think. I want you to see simply this, that only Christ can define what is truly significant in your life. The, the, the world can't define significance. You can't even define it for yourself as, 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 as a lot of us try. Think about it. Zacchaeus probably tried to define significance in his life as, I'm going to climb the ladder, I'm going to make a lot of money, but it never fulfilled him. It simply brought him prominence. Only Christ can show us what is truly significant. Remember when God chose David as the king of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 16? The Lord brought Samuel... And he said to him, as Samuel goes through all of David's brothers, and David's just kind of this wallflower young boy that's out in the fields, and he goes through all of the brothers. And he says, no, 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 there's, there's got to be something else. 
So Samuel says to David's father, is there somebody else? And, and during this time, God's speaking to Samuel's heart, and he says, listen, I don't want you to look at the outward. I have a totally different criteria where it's defined in the region of the heart. See, the traits of a significant person, loved ones, are resident in the act of our being, not in our doing. And we try and establish our true significance by, by what we do and the things we've accomplished and the goals that we have. And those are important. I'm not, listen, I'm not diminishing uh, a healthy, godly ambition to move ahead and have a, a great career. I'm not diminishing that at all, but it's so critical that we don't allow that to become the the, the byline of our life that we say, look at me, look what I do. And I can kind of speak to that because for so many years I thought, well, if I just get a, a bigger church, I'll be a better person. I'll be able to prove myself to this world or to my constituents or whatever. And you know what you find out? I don't care if it's money, I don't care what it is, house, car, whatever. You always want something more. As soon as you get what you think you want, guess what? This is what I learned about ministry. The only thing that ever changes is the zeros. You got 40? Well, let's get 100. You got 100? Let's get 1,000. And I am, listen, hear me, I am all for church growth, and I believe that is critical. But if I allow that to become my byline, if you allow dollars and cents or anything in your life, it will never fulfill you and give you significance. So for Zacchaeus, it took him a whole lifetime to accumulate, but in one sentence of devotion to Jesus, one powerful encounter, he liquidates everything. And what does he do? He says, listen, everybody that I ripped off, man, I'm gonna give them four times as much. Can you imagine that? He says, if, I've take, if whatever I've taken, I'm gonna give it back to them. See, this is really the ultimate picture, loved ones, of repentance. It's where you you, you change the direction and the course of your life. But Matthew 3 tells us that that's really one of the keys to entrance into the kingdom of God is that we repent and we believe. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus does here. And when you and I are truly touched by Christ's presence and the touch of, of, of his eternal life, our significance, guess what, will be found every day in him. We won't look to a profession to do it. We won't look to a possession. If I just get this house or that car or this thing or that person, our significance will come because of the person, Jesus Christ. Significance doesn't equal prominence. And we can never forget that. Because Zacchaeus had prominence. Prominence is just what everybody sees on the outside, but significance is what happens inside of us. Over the years I've done, uh, I couldn't even tell you, many, many, many memorial services, celebration of lives and funerals, all touch me in a different way. But you know the ones that really move me? Are the ones where you know and you can tell and you can see that this person's life made a difference on people. It wasn't just prominent, it wasn't just a nice person, but they were significant in what they did. And there's a lot of people in this church that I would say that about, and I'm not gonna start listing any of them because I miss, but I'll tell you about one that has passed, and, and it's chief. So a lot of you know Gerald Cook, we called him chief. I, 
Yeah, he was. He always kidded about being a, you know, a, an Okie from Oklahoma. And uh, just a significant part of this church. There's still men in this church that we used to do Friday morning together, Bible study, and spend time together. And for years, the chief would come and he'd just give his own kind of biblical Okie kind of a homespun wisdom. And all the guys just loved him. Because we learned so much from him. It wasn't anything special. He just loved Jesus and he loved the men. He loved being around the men. And I still have guys that say, I just, you know, I just miss Chief. Just miss Chief. Never preached a sermon here. But his life spoke volumes. It had his service. It was, you, you just saw the significance that it played out on men. I remember the first time, I, the last time I was in his home before he, he, had, he had cancer. But the last time I was in his home before he had to go to an assisted care living place, I went over there just to pray with him and knew the, kind of the emotional issues of leaving his home. Walk in there and he's joyful and he's just excited about Jesus and walks in and we talk and doing stuff and I pray for him. And so I'm getting ready to leave. You know, he's kind of weak and everything. And, and he, he, goes, he goes, Pastor, 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 come here. Well, I give you a hug, and he gives me a hug, and then he reaches down, and on his little coffee table, there is a check. He says, I couldn't make it to church today, as you know, but here's my tithe. It's a check for $500. He's a man that was on um, you know, just a uh, lim- limited income for years, but the man gave. And he says, here, Pastor, I want you to take this. I love Jesus. I love the church, and you're all right, and so take this, and, and I, wanna, I just want to be a blessing to the church, and this is, I'm so thankful he says, I'm so thankful for what Jesus is doing. You're kidding me. He's got cancer. He's dying of cancer. A lot of guys, every once in a while in the offering, we'll still see these. We'll get these envelopes. They'll have one dollar in them. One dollar. You know why guys do that? Because that's what Chief said. He'd give his $500 tithe. And the other Sundays, he'd always put a little dollar in a little envelope because in Deuteronomy, it says something like this. I will never come before the Lord empty-handed. And so Chief just had this little thing that he'd always do. He'd say, I'm just going to give the Lord a dollar every time I come to church. Every time I come to this place, I'm going to give a dollar. A lot of our guys remember that. And every once in a while, we'll still see a dollar just show up, no name on it. See, there's people like that in this church. They're not prominent, but they're significant. And see, Jesus knows that. Vincent Van Gogh, during his lifetime, they say he sold only one painting for a paltry, I think it was like 400 francs. It was called the Red Vineyard. Get this, 1987, one of his paints, the Irises, sold for $50 million. And I think he's had three that have been since then that have sold for well over $50 million. Talk about significance after your lifestyle, after your death or prominence. It, when he was alive, he, could be, he, sold, he sells one painting and the guy could barely live because he didn't have any money. And hear me, this is what I want you to see. Our significance may not always be tangibly seen or felt right now. But if you are faithful to God, you will produce fruitfulness that hopefully will outlive you. And your significance will carry on after you. 
Because never forget, Psalm 75, 6 says this, everything comes from God. 1 Corinthians 1 says that we make a big deal out of what we see. But Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says God uses the unwise, the unseemly, the unassuming to qualify for them for significance. Because he knows in the end what's really important. And I think that he wants to, I know he wants to continually remind me of that and to make sure that our church never forgets. Listen, it's not about the new things that we do. It's not about the money that God blesses us with. It's not even about the numbers of people. It's about the people that we touch. It's about the people that we love and serve in his name. And never forget, loved ones, only Christ can give true and lasting significance. See, Zacchaeus had a lot. He was a prominent man. But you know what? He came to a place in his life where he says, I need something more. And he says, maybe, just maybe, Jesus. And guess what? Jesus addresses his need. And this is the point. When he comes into his presence, when Jesus says, I'm coming over, guess what? He was never the same again. And only Jesus can do that if we allow him, if we look to him, if we trust in him. He can address all the issues of our life, of our significance or lack thereof. Every one of us, loved ones, needs a savior to address the significance of our life. Jesus says this, that I come to seek and to save the lost. What's the lost? It's just any person that's out of position. And can I just remind you, there's a lot of people like that today. Well, we don't see them in trees, but they're in trees. You work with them. They're not in a tree, but if you listen to them long enough, you can go, they're in a tree. They're doing some pretty silly things, trying to figure out this thing called life. So today, I never want us to forget that. Because if we've come to Christ, if we're experiencing the significance that he can give us, he's calling us to go out there. So I got three questions for you. Whenever you're trying to determine whether it's prominence or significance you're pursuing, here's the questions that I'm asking myself lately. Number one, when you get to where you're going, where will you be? Secondly, when you get what you want, what will you have? And and thirdly, if what you are focused on right now, is it worth Christ dying for? Because as we head to Easter, loved ones, it's it's the focus of what Jesus did. He says right here, I came to seek and to save the lost. And the powerful thing about Jesus, it wasn't just going to the cross, but it's everybody he touched on the way to the cross is what you're focused on right now. And I know we got kids, we're raising kids, raising grandkids, we're, we're, we're trying to make our mortgages, and those are all important. I'm not diminishing them at all, but that we never forget and keep at the forefront this simple truth is really the big picture of what I'm living for. Was it worth Jesus dying for? Are there things that I can point to in my life that are significant that I can say, Jesus, I'm doing this because of your life for me?
And I think it's really important, loved ones, most of you were Creeksiders in here, as far as I can tell, that we never forget where we come from. Paul understood his significance. And what's so powerful about Paul, the apostle, at the outset of his ministry in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, you know what he said? I am the least of all the apostles. Some years later, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and in the third chapter, he says this, I am the least of all the saints. So now it's 12, now it's all the saints, it's all those who are following Christ. And then late in his life and ministry, he's in prison. 1 Timothy 1, he says this, I am the chief of all sinners. Did, did, did Paul get badder or worse or become more of a sinner as he got older? No, and that's not it at all. He became a man who understood the difference between prominence and significance. And the more time he spent with Jesus, the more he understood how much he needed to grow to become like Jesus, to be touched by Jesus. And don't ever forget that, loved ones. We can become so busy with our Christian stuff. We can become so busy with our life that we think we arrive. And at the point that we do that, we will begin to lose significance. Significance. 